GoLongTD.com, humanizing pro football journalism. All righty, we have the the great Matt Hasselbeck here for a little one-on-one interview with GoLong. Matt, it is awesome to to see you. We've talked on the phone over the years. I know back to my Milwaukee Journal Sentinel days, Bleacher Report days. You've, you've always been just exceptional reliving old old war stories and explaining how this game really works. I think we talked about Toradol for an hour at one point. And obviously well, I, I need <laughs> I need some more Toradol in my life right now. Actually. Actually. No, thanks for having me. It's uh it's cool. I feel like I'm looking in a mirror right now. Like on this uh on the Zoom. <laughs> let's, let's go. Hey, us, uh, uh, just a couple bald guys hanging out, right? Maybe yeah. we should just yeah. turn this into a, the moment we knew we had to let like go. I haven't, shaved. I haven't shaved. You know, I'm coaching high school football right now, and like we just had like a big rivalry game, and I was really in the thick of it with game planning and film or whatever. And uh, I was like, man, I should probably shave for this, and then I didn't. And now I see you, and I'm like, oh, we're good. You know, I'm like a week behind you, maybe maybe three. Got to be, uh, you know, obviously ESPN, a bunch of fools for doing what they did. But now you can just let the facial hair go. You can coach football. <laughs> You've got your son going to Michigan State. All, all yeah. this great stuff in your life right yeah. now. Yeah. So I got laid off this summer by ESPN. I was working Sunday NFL countdown and doing features at ESPN. And, uh, you know, in a way it was kind of a dream job. Like I'd been there for seven years right out of playing football. Uh, at the end of my career, I was considering to keep going and playing. And then I had this opportunity to kind of work on a show with Chris Berman and like the shows I grew up watching, the people I grew up watching. And uh, I jumped at it and it was an awesome experience. I got to work with my brother. Um, and then like they, they did some layoffs this, this summer and I got laid off. And like at the time I was like really, I don't want to say like devastated, but like super, super disappointed. And, uh, but the result of it, I guess, is that, I never would have had the courage to make the decision that was made for me. And so basically what's the net result of it is, is this year, instead of talking about and diving into NFL quarterbacks at all times, I'm getting to coach my son, who's a senior quarterback in high school at my high school, who's playing for the head coach that was there when I was there as a coach. It's just like a dream come true. Really? My dad's the tight ends coach. I'm the quarterbacks coach. I drive, I ride home from practices with my son in the car it's like the coolest thing. And I, and I just like I said to my wife the other day, I never would have had the courage to quit my job to do this. But like, I can't imagine in 30, 40, whatever, however many years looking back and like regretting that I didn't get to talk about uh, or didn't get to do this with him and with and with them, like the, all the kids and all the coaches. It's been great. I, it just took the words out of my mouth. I mean, these are memories that you'll have for the rest of your life with your family, your son. I, I can't imagine how freaking cool that is to be on the sideline coaching coaching your son. Yeah, and I got to do it last year, but while I was working at ESPN, and uh, it was cool. And there's also a dynamic, right, with when you're coaching your own child. And uh, I had never really gotten to see my son play football because I was always playing football. I mean, my last year in the NFL, I was 40 years old. So, like, really, I, I was not only was I not coaching him, I wasn't really even seeing him play. And so now I'm seeing him and coaching him. And there's this dynamic with father sons that can be a little bit. You hear people talk about it all the time. Like, it almost ruins the relationship. And I had had some, like, I don't know how to even uh, describe them, but, like, 
coach quarterback relationships. Like I'm thinking Mike Holmgren like comes to mind and like Mike is very, we're very similar. Like he's very passionate and fiery on game day. And I am also that way or was that way. And, you know, the lessons I learned with Mike Holmgren, like I'm using all of those lessons to coach my son. Like, um, uh, it's just, I don't know. It's, uh, I'm glad I kind of experienced some bad to now, uh, not have to do that as a dad. Um, so it's, it's, I'm aware of like the, the, I guess the pitfalls that could happen. And your son, I want to say he, he was going to go to Maryland for lacrosse originally and then decided to go to Michigan State for football. So like in our house, we're huge, like multi-sport believers. Like I, I never would have picked football. Football kind of chose me. You know, I thought I was like the, I thought I was the next Larry Bird. I thought I was going to go play for the Boston Red Sox. And I just played football because my dad played for the Patriots. And I was like, oh, I yeah. should play football too. Um, the, the sport chose me. Similar thing with my girls. My girls both played lacrosse at Boston College. One of them thought she was like the next, you know, WNBA star. The other one thought she was going to win Olympic gold in hockey. And the, the sport of lacrosse sort of chose them. So I think in our house with our son, who, you know, loves all these sports, he's playing hockey, lacrosse, football. We were very anti-specializing in one sport. A lot of people do that these days. We were just totally against it. So, yeah, so he was committed to play lacrosse in college uh, at Maryland. And when he committed there, he had never been a starting quarterback in, in high school football. He'd like, never. And before he committed, he said, you know, coach, Coach John Tillman, amazing guy, amazing coach. He says, coach, I'm going to commit to you to play lacrosse at Maryland. And I promise I'll never play lacrosse anywhere else. But if a big-time college football opportunity comes – I'm going to take that instead. Is that okay with you? And these guys are probably like laughing at him. They're like, come on, man. You're like a sophomore. You're like 159 pounds. You've never started in high school. Like no one's going to come calling for you. Like you've never even started at your high school. And, uh, you know, sure enough, he ends up having a wonderful football season last year, has a bunch of offers for football, ends up taking, uh, committing to Michigan state and, uh, you know, I would say the rest is history, but Michigan State just fired their coach. So who knows? We're taking it one day at a time right now and just really focusing on having a good high school career. And we'll see what happens. Good way to put it. Yeah, there's a lot going on there. Just enjoy playing with your friends. That's a good way to live. I, I can't wait to talk about your career, Matt. I mean, uh, gosh, 36, nearly 37,000 yards, 212 touchdowns, three-time Pro Bowler, five division titles, Seahawks Ring of Honor. A decade with the Seahawks changed the franchise. Uh, but I think we got to start in Green Bay. I remember talking to you for a story back at the Journal Sentinel about when you first got to Green Bay, right? Ron, Ron Wolf is, is drafting quarterbacks every year. You're in that lineage. I believe it was 99. They signed Rick Meyer. Aaron Brooks was drafted in the fourth round. It was 98. Uh, they so my rookie year we signed Rick Meyer, but like really that was the thing. Like I just remember getting drafted. First of all, I got drafted. I was shocked. You know, my college career was up and down. I, I went to Boston College because of Tom Coughlin. He had coached my dad and my dad's last team. My dad played in the NFL for nine years: Patriots, Raiders, Vikings, Giants. His last team was the Bill Parcells, New York Giants. Yep. Uh, the receivers coach was Tom Coughlin. I loved the Giants. Loved everything about the Giants. I thought I was Lawrence Taylor. And when I wasn't Lawrence Taylor, I was Mark Bavaro. Like, those were my guys. And loved the Giants. And Tom Coughlin uh, was recruiting 
me. And he was like, you know, it was all about the Giants. And my dad loved the Giants. And I went there for Tom Coughlin and Tom Coughlin, bam, <laughs> halfway through my freshman year, he's in Jacksonville. He's gone. And uh, so my college career was kind of rocky, different head coaches, different quarterback coaches. I didn't start. I wasn't the full-time starter until till really the second game of my fourth year in college. Like if there was a transfer portal, I would have jumped in it. The problem was uh, no one wanted me. Why would you? Like it, it was a rough start uh, to a to a football career. So I I you know I basically you know I'm done with BC and I'm going to the training for the NFL Combine. I don't get invited to the combine. I basically got uninvited to the combine. That's a whole nother story. But so (laughs) my agent at the time, this guy, Andrew Brandt, a really smart guy was like, Hey, don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. No big deal. Not going to the combine. We'll just have a pro day and we'll invite all 32 teams to come to Boston college and work you out. And I'm like, Oh, sweet. Yeah. Good idea. Why was I freaking out? So we have a pro day. We, we, you know, we're going to have a pro day. Only one team shows up. The quarterback coach for the Green Bay Packers, the only guy that shows up, Andy Reid. And so he shows up and it doesn't go great. Like it's snowing. I can't really do what I wanted to do. Like I prepared all this stuff. So I'm like, oh, well. Anyway, fast forward to the draft. I am shocked that I get drafted by the Packers. Like I'm just absolutely blown away. So when I get drafted to the Packers, my dad says to me, he's like, you know, this is a big deal that you got drafted to the Packers because not only did you get drafted, but you got drafted to the Ron Wolf as GM, Mike Holmgren, head coach, Brett Favre's been like, I don't know what it was, like three MVPs in a row or two Super Bowls in a row, something like that. Yep. I think this is a this is a compliment. I get there and they have so many quarterbacks. I mean, they have Brett, they've got Doug Peterson, they signed David Klingler, uh, who I think maybe won the Heisman at Houston. Uh, they signed they had this guy Kyle Wackholz from USC. They had Chris McCoy my year, quarterback from Navy. They had Ronnie McAda they drafted the year before that at Army, who beat me like 42 to 7 when we went head to head. Like I'm sitting there like, I have no chance to make this team, like none. And they gave me these like really cool like Green Bay Packers uh practice shorts that have like my number in them. They gave me like the number 11 and and uh, I had like my number in him and I was like you know what this is like literally my thought every day I was like this stinks I'm never gonna make this team but what's really cool about this is that I'll be able to keep these shorts probably and I'll get to show these shorts to my grandkids and be like you're not gonna believe it but like I played for the Green Bay Packers for like a couple months and was teammates with Reggie White and Leroy Butler and Brett Favre and all these guys and uh and that's really like the mindset of how it started for me in Green Bay it really is that's amazing because you really pinpointed Gosh, there was an off season there. Maybe it was 98. I was thinking it was 99 when Mike McCarthy, you're working with him every day because Brett's hanging down in Mississippi yeah. and you're, you're driving a, a VW bug. You're living month to month yeah. in an apartment. And he yeah. says, Hey, you know, I know we got all these other quarterbacks. Go, go, go buy a truck, go build a house. And you so went that, and bought a Jeep and built a house. Yeah, exactly. You're exactly right. This is pretty good research by you. I almost forgotten some of this, but like, so Mike Holmgren, that was my first year. Mike Holmgren's the head coach. Andy Reid's the, the quarterback's coach. We have that year. All those guys that I mentioned, basically like I just keep rising up the depth chart on all of them. And then before I know it, it goes basically Brett Favre, Doug Peterson and me. Everyone else is gone. And at that point, I'm like, I made it. Like I made it. And the D coordinator, Fritz Shermer, I remember him saying to me after the final cut, he said, Hey, I want you to know something that you should already know. Cuts are never final. 
And I kind of was like in one ear, out the other. I was like, yeah, 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 whatever, coach, whatever. And sure enough, Rick Meyer gets cut by the Chicago Bears and has his choice of where to go. And he chooses to sort of like, I don't know, come to fertile soil for quarterbacks under Mike Holmgren and Andy Andy Reid and Brett Favre and Doug and all this stuff. And he comes there and now all of a sudden I'm out. I'm on the practice squad that first year. And most of my rookie year was spent playing scout team tight end um, during practice, blocking guys like Reggie White, running routes on guys like Leroy Butler, and then going to quarterback meetings. Like Andy Reid came to me and he was like, hey, listen, um, can you play tight end? I was like, well, my dad was a tight end. I play tight end in Pop Warner. I got a good three-point stance. And he's like, well, listen, I'm trying to fight to have you around on the practice squad. Uh, there's only five guys in the practice squad back then. And he's like, but there's, cause there's really nothing for a fourth string quarterback to do at practice. There's nothing for a third string quarterback to do at practice. So he's like, can you play scout team tight end during the week and then come to quarterback meetings? I was like, I'll do whatever you want to do. I should be paying you. You guys are paying me. Like I'll, I'll do anything. <laughs> and basically my rookie year with those guys was I would sit there. I wasn't allowed to talk. I was not allowed to talk. Like it really, no one was really allowed to talk except for Brett, Andy, uh, Reed, Mike Holmgren. And I would sit there and I would write down all the questions that I would have. Like when they were talking about stuff, I'd be like, Oh, I wonder what that means. I wonder what this is. And then on the walk from the quarterback room to the locker room, I would ask Doug Peterson all the questions that I wanted to ask if I was allowed to talk in the meeting. So in a way, I kind of think I got Doug Peterson his start of coaching. That's like what I, what I have told some people. But that that second year, so then after that first year, Mike Holmgren goes to Seattle, takes pretty much everyone with him. Andy Reid goes to Philly, tries to take a bunch of people with him. A lot, of, I think a lot of people were like, hmm, I don't know if you're going to be successful. They don't go with him. And Andy was wildly successful, like super successful, which is not a surprise. He's amazing. But basically, whoever was left over there, you know, we have Ray Rhodes come back as the as the head coach. Mike McCarthy is now the quarterbacks coach. Like you mentioned, that offseason, they drafted Aaron Brooks really, really high. He, he had a lot of talent. Rick Meyer is now sticking around. Doug Peterson left and went to Philly with Andy Reid, one of the only people to go to Philly. And, and now it's a totally different thing. And for me, they came in and I think, I think it was, uh, Mike McCarthy who said, he goes, listen, you, your only shot to make this team is as the number two. Like we're keeping Aaron Brooks as the three. So basically you're running around here looking like a practice squad kid that was playing scout team tight end, driving a Volkswagen bug, living in month to month rental place. Like no one believes in you. And it looks like you don't even believe in you. And he basically said to me, he was like, straight up, you need to sell your car, go buy a truck. You need to start building a house where everyone can see it. Like you need to send a message to everyone in this organization that like you expect to be Brett Favre's backup. And and like, this is what you you need. This is like the attitude that you have. Because right now you're walking around like, oh, I hope I can be Ryan Longwell's holder. And he was kind of like, like, that's great. And that might be true, but you need to like start, you know, swinging the stick, swinging the hammer here. Like, yo, I'm here to stay. And I really didn't have that mindset. Like as a rookie, I so looked up to Brett Favre. I so looked up to Doug Peterson. I so looked up to Rick Meyer. And now you're telling me like, like I'm supposed to compete with Rick Meyer. Like this dude has like taught me so much in my rookie year, you know, like he's done. Like he, I loved Rick, you know? And then like the fact that I could even back up Brett, like it was like, that blew my mind also. So it was great advice from Mike McCarthy. And then, like you said, Brett Favre didn't really do the off season program, Like he was gone. 
And Rick Meyer, you know, had a family. He had a really nice house in San Diego. He was in San Diego quite a bit. Aaron Aaron Brooks was just a young guy. And so here I am with the next year's class of rookies that come in, guys like Donald Driver, and I'm like completely losing my hair. I look like I'm 40, but it's my second year. I have zero credited seasons. And like, I remember driving back from practice one day and uh, Donald Driver said, and I'm like running with the ones because no one else is around. And Donald, Donald Driver's like, Hasselback, man, like, um, what year is this for you? I was like, what year do you think this is for me? He's like, I don't know, six, seven. He's <laughs> like, nah, I was on the practice squad as a rookie last year. I just, I just look old because I'm losing my hair. But it was such a great opportunity for a young quarterback to get coached by Mike McCarthy and really the rest of the staff and get to throw to the starting wide receivers and to Mark Chamura and to Dorsey Levins and like the guys taking snaps from Frank Winters, like the stuff, the line calls, all the stuff that happened with the ones in the huddle. You cannot find it in the playbook. It's not in the playbook. The playbook will say, oh, the center's going to say 52's the mic. We're going to go Lenny 54. I'd get up there and Frankie would say something like, all right, Chief 54. <laughs> it's just like, what's all right, Chief 54 mean? You know, like, I guess that means, you know, like, it was just cool. It was re- it was really cool for me. And, um, you know, it, it really couldn't have been better for the first two years. I mean, I've been critical of of Mike McCarthy. A lot of people are, especially this week after how that last game went. But him having that conversation with you at that point in your life, your career, boy, it probably had to inject so much confidence. You're you're kind of, you know, blowing in the wind. And and but no, I'm gonna I'm gonna build a house. I'm gonna get a jeep. I'm winning this number two job. It opposite, opposite. Really? First of all, it, even when when Andy Reid drafted me, okay. So when they drafted me, I get a I get a call from this guy Danny Mock. He's a scout um, that I had kind of talked to in the process, and he calls me and he's like, "Hey, Matt, Danny Mock here." As I go, "Hey, Danny, you know how are you?" And he's like, "Hold on, uh, Coach Reid wants to talk to you real quick." Andy Reid says, "Hey, uh, take a look at you watching ESPN right now." I'm like, "Yeah." He's like, "Watch the ticker. Tell 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 me what you think about this next draft pick that we're making." And it was my name, pick 187, sixth round, my name. And I'm like, "This guy Andy Reid is a fool. Like he drafted me. Like he didn't have to draft me. Like I wasn't going to get drafted." He I, and, and literally in my brain, I was like, "He obviously doesn't know how to evaluate quarterbacks because like <laughs> I'm not good enough." That's what went through my head. And so when Mike McCarthy said to me, sell your car, stop renting, build a house, send a message. Like I literally, he might as well have said to me, go bench press 315 pounds with no spotter. (laughs) Cause in the, cause his, cause this is what his mindset was. His mindset was like, cause you'll have no choice, but to get it up. Cause otherwise you'll die. Yeah. (laughs) Like I get it. But like in my mind, I was like, I can't get it up. I I can't do 315. Like I'll die, you know? And in my mind, I was kind of like, I don't know if I could be Brett Favre's backup. Like this team expects to be in the Super Bowl. Like, I don't know if I'm ready. Like, you know, I don't know. I I just had no belief in myself and it was scary a little bit. But I think the other thing that really happened that off season, and my wife would tell you that this is true. So like at the time I was engaged, but single, like single guy living in Green Bay in the off season. Mike McCarthy was a single guy living in Green Bay in the off season. We hung out all the time. Like we hung out 
all the time. Well, like it was, he did this QB school. I hung out with him during like the OTAs to during workouts when we were done with school. We talked about Joe Montana and Rich Gannon and like every guy he had ever coached. And I just got so much better. Like my footwork changed, my everything changed. He taught me football and, um, I don't know. It's just like a weird set of circumstances that all kind of align for me. And I improved so much as a player from year one to year two because of the time I spent with Mike. Yeah, I remember you You told me once upon a time you'd be out grilling steaks, you know, and, and if you wanted to get crazy, you'd go to Walmart in Green Bay because there's that was a super do. Walmart. And I don't knock okay. it. I loved it. It was a great it was great. I, I lo- we loved living in Green Bay or I love living in Green Bay. And my best friend at the time was a linebacker that he's kind of the three of us is kind of Jim Nelson from Penn State. And we hung out so much with Mike, like the three of us hung out so much. They ended up moving Jim Nelson to fullback uh, for a little while because Mike was like, man, you know, the offense now, like I've taught it to you. Like it was I so I went from like year one of like sort of just being allowed to be there and not really getting coached, but like getting to watch Brett Favre get coached to yeah. year two. Mike McCarthy was like all in on coaching, just love coaching, love coaching the quarterback. And it was really me and him for a lot of the time. And uh, so I went from like not getting coached to like getting coaching the history of the game, you know? And uh, so it was, a, it was, it was really cool though. It was really cool. Yeah. That's, that's amazing. Plus you're Mr. August. I mean, I remember tuning in on, on my grandparents satellite dish G five, whatever it was to get that random Packers broadcast from Buffalo. And you're, you're lighting it up, take it off. Though you I mean, did play through a concussion in 2000, right? Against Denver. Listen, the, like the preseasons went so well, well for me. Like I've always felt like in my football career, like I never really got a break. And in year two and three in Green Bay in those preseasons, I felt guilty because I was getting like every break. Like my stats in the preseason were like stupid, like stupid, stupid. And it would be like I'd throw like an in route and like two DBs would fall down. The receiver would go score. Like I was feeling so guilty about like how it went. But like. It started out, it started out this writer, uh, Jason Wildey from the, in, in Wisconsin. He wrote this article about the fact that, so they traded Rick Meyer away. I believe this is how it went down. They traded Rick Meyer away right before our first preseason game it was a rematch of the Super Bowl, uh, Broncos, Packers, Monday night football game in Madison. I had never been to Madison. What an incredible place to play a football game. Unbelievable. So he writes this big article and, uh, I forget. Maybe I'm screwing this story up, but I thought he said like Mr. August or something like that. And like, I was like, Oh boy, like this is embarrassing. Okay. And I walk in the locker room and I see a bunch of scouts uh, huddled around this newspaper article that he writes. It's pregame and they're like huddled like near the cold tubs or whatever. I'm just looking for a place to stretch. And I see them read it and I'm like, uh, Oh, sorry. And it's about me. And they all turn to me and like, well, you better ball out now or something like that. <laughs> And Brett Favre breaks his thumb on the like the seventh play of the game. I have like no time to think. Mike McCarthy's like, go. I run in there. I have no mouthpiece. I don't even know if like my shoelaces were like tightly tied. I thought I was playing in the second half. I get out there and I think I throw four touchdown passes in the first half of that game. And I was like, what just happened? And then they take me out. I remember them coming up to me and being like, Hey, we're going to take you out. We can't afford to lose you. And I was like, you can't afford to lose me. Like <laughs> uh, three weeks ago, you would have traded me for a case of Gatorade. Like now you're like saving me in a preseason game, you know, on Monday night football. It just was, it was crazy. So I think my confidence was like definitely building 
But but honestly, that like that preseason, it was just it was nuts. And like I I don't I almost can't take credit for it. Like it just it was like everything just sort of went my way. It was really kind of bizarre. I wasn't used to it. But it it you parlayed into being the starting quarterback, the face of the Seattle Seahawks, Mike Holmgren handpicks you uh, to be to be the guy. And you kind of referenced your relationship with him earlier. I know it kind of started rocky. I remember you getting benched, right? I mean, yeah. you're kind of hurt. You're battling through stuff. I mean, the the injuries, I can't. The pain that you played through is is insane. Uh, but how did that kind of relationship evolve over time? I got to watch Mike my first year, Coach Brett, and he was like really really hard on Brett. He was hard on Andy Reid. He was hard on everybody. So I think that helped that I got to see that because he was really hard on me when I got there and he should have been like, I came in, like I said, I had like two really good preseasons. Um, Green Bay didn't play too much, like ran two fake field goals and they both worked. Like that, that was like the, that's my yeah. resume, basically it. So I get to green, I get to Seattle and I don't know. I just was like, I was arrogant. You know, I thought like, I thought it w- I was just going to like take off where I left off, you know, with, uh, with the Packers. And he just, he was like, no, you need to walk before you can run. We're going to put training wheels on you early. Like you got to earn it. And I just was like defiant. And I, I don't know. I just did it wrong. I did everything wrong. Kind of reminds me a little bit of what I saw out of Zach Wilson, uh, early in his career. And we're still early in his career, but I'm sitting there. It's just like, all this was just kind of handed to me. I thought because I had earned the respect of my locker room in green Bay over a three year period, you know, like I think they respected the way I came in the weight room. I think they respected the way that I didn't screw up practice when I was trying to block Reggie white. I think they respected the way that I, you know, would stay late with all the backup tight ends there and throw. Like, I think they just respected everything that I put towards it. I got to Seattle and I just thought like they, I had earned their respect. I had not. I had not at all. They're looking at me like, dude, you, you, you've thrown 29 passes in your life. Like you've done nothing. You're coming in here like the starting quarterback. Like forget that, you know? Um, and so like it was, it was rough. I didn't play great. Mike and I kind of, you know, batted heads a little bit and. At the same time, Trent Dilfer is my backup quarterback. He had just won the Super Bowl. Everything I was doing wrong, he was doing right. Everything. Like the offensive line loved him. Our defense loved him. I'm sure our wide receivers liked him more than me too. Like it was just like everybody. And, um, you know, I think it was like for me, like I just had a lot to learn. And I got to learn so much in Green Bay for three years, watching Brett, being around Doug, uh, learning from Rick. Um, but then I got to Seattle and I thought, oh, I got it. I know it all. And the biggest thing I didn't know, and I don't think anyone could have taught me, is what I watched Brett do. Not only play while hurt, but play really, really, really well while really hurt. And that was the thing that I failed miserably at. I got banged up, and I thought it was like good enough that I was out there. But no, no one cares. No one cares that you were hurt. No one says, oh, this is your QBR, but... He was hurt. It's like, no one cares, you know? And so like, I needed to learn how to play really well while injured. And that was, I mean, I failed miserably at that. And um, among other things. So that first year, even though I thought I was ready, I wasn't at all. Yeah. I think you told me once that 2001 was the most miserable year of your life. I mean, you get hit by Michael Strahan on a Hail Mary at the end of the half. You have like a floating clavicle in you. 
uh, yeah. newborn baby. You're living next to a well, fire that was, station. That was like the, I mean, there were so many rookie mistakes. So like one of our biggest rookie mistakes is like we have our first child in October, uh, you know, like the middle of the season. And we were renting in Seattle. We were renting in Bellevue, Washington, right next door to the fire station. And so like, I talked to the realtor and I'm like, I'm like, yeah, I don't know about this. Like next to the fire station. Like, what's what do you think about that? And uh, the person's like, oh, yeah, no, there's this rule. They they got to be like a mile and a half away before they can turn their sirens on. And I was like, oh, OK, that makes sense. Well, of course, they're not doing that. And like, what are you going to do? Like complain? Hey, I know you're on the way to save somebody's life, but like, please don't use your siren <laughs> trying to right. sleep over here. <laughs> so between newborn baby, like sirens, like all the time. Like I just, I, we got like no sleep that, that from October, you know, we had our first child, our closest relatives, like we're in Seattle. They're in like probably Chicago, you know, like no help. We had no, no idea what we were doing. And, uh, and I'm banged up and the entire stadium is booing me and, you know, Dilfer chants every game. It was like, my team doesn't like me. It doesn't want me. Like it was a, it was a rough, it was a rough experience, but I, but I, I'm thankful for it because it, it, it for sure hardened me, um, helped me get to where I needed to go. I learned, I definitely improved. I learned how to be coachable, which was a real struggle early on. And, uh, and I forged a friendship, I think with my quarterback coach, Jim Zorn, that was, um, you know, I don't know if we could have gotten as close as we got had I never had gone through the fire. You know, he helped kind of pull me out of it. And ultimately, so did Trent Dilfer, and so did Brock Heward, and some of the guys that I was teams with, teammates with. And it was good. I mean, Trent Dilfer, I've talked to him about this. He went through the same exact, you know, immaturity, needing to mature stages in his Tampa career. I mean, he, he kind of went through this fire. He went through the ringer, you know, 95, 96, 97. So it's like, I, he... He kind of went through it. You're going through it, but eventually you get healthy. You're the starter. Hell yeah. You almost beat those Packers uh, at Lambeau Field a couple years later, right? I don't need to. Uh, you, that, people probably bring that up to you way too much. You, you guys are rolling. Good. Of course you no. should say that at the that, at midfield. That, that, are you talking about the Al Harris pick? Yeah, we want the ball. We're going to score. I don't regret it for a second. Not Good. for a second. Good. But um, no, those are some battles. But like we had played the Packers earlier that year. You know, there wasn't like an immediate thing for me, but like Trent was helpful to me. I remember talking to Brett, like they played the Bears or somebody and we played them right after. And, and I called Brett. I'm like, Hey, you know, what, what do you think? You know, whatever. And he, you know, he, it was just like so great to get advice from like veteran quarterbacks. Like it just, they put it away that like a coach could never put it. Like it was very helpful. But I remember we played the Packers that year of 03, where we went to the wild card, wild card for the first time. And everyone in the building was like, because they know I'm like probably like, I don't know, uh, uh, like I'm not a mellow person. OK, so like so everyone in the building was like, you got to control your emotions, control your emotions. You're going back to Lambo. You're playing your friends, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, all right, all right, fine, fine. I'll be coachable. I'll listen. And I played like I just played boring. I controlled my emotions. I, I like, you know, I wore sleeves, you know, I did like all this stupid stuff. I was just like, Oh, I'm going to be like, you know, I'm going to play it safe. And like, we could have won the game, but we lost, but you know why we lost? No one did anything special. And it was almost like, we almost just like expected, like, I don't know what, like we were almost just like happy to be there. Packers were this great team with all these future hall of famers and blah, 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 blah. And like, we didn't win. 
And we could have won. And I just remember being like, whatever. So we make the playoffs that year. Shockingly didn't expect to. It was like, forget what happened. There was some like play at the end of the year, week 17 or whatever that like put us in the playoffs. And it was just like, oh my gosh, like we're going to the play, like wild card. Like, you know what? House money. And Mike Holmgren was kind of like house money. Like you guys, no one expected you to be here, blah, 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 blah. And he, but he also said, listen, I coached at San Francisco. There was a moment where we as a coaching staff, Bill Walsh and everybody, we said, you know what? These guys are good enough, but they don't believe it. And he's like, I coached in Green Bay. And there was a moment in Green Bay with Reggie White and Brett Favre and those guys was like, as a coaching staff, we were like, these guys are good enough, but we don't know if they know it yet. And he said to us, he was like, listen, I remember we we're in an Appleton hotel, Appleton, Wisconsin, uh, night before the game hotel. And he was like, I have been there. I know what it takes. This team right here, the guys in this room, we have what it takes. You just don't believe it yet. As players, we as coaches, we believe it. You guys don't believe it yet. And so I think there was just like this mindset for me. Like, I'm like, you know what? Let's just go have fun. I So many times for three years, I sat on the sidelines in Green Bay and I watched teams come in there and get intimidated by, ooh, Brett Favre and Reggie White and the, the mystique of Lambeau and Ray Nitschke and Bart Starr and cold weather. Like we were just as cold. Like our quarterback <laughs> meetings at halftime were sometimes in the sauna. We would sit in there in the sauna and be like, all right, what do you like? Oh, I like 93 Blast. Or what do you like? Oh, I like XY Hook. Like You like Dagger? Like I love Dagger. Okay. And then we would run out of the, you know, the locker room with like no sleeves on, run out like, oh, we're not cold. We're not cold. And like the other team would be like, gosh, I remember playing the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. They'd be like, man, these guys are psycho. They're not even cold. It's freezing up here. We were cold, you know? So anyway, just having this like this mindset of like not intimidated, don't care. You know, well, you're not as good as you think you are. I know yeah. you guys, you don't even practice outside. You hate the cold like we do. You practice in the Don Hudson Center. If it's like 56 degrees, just stop. We're good. We can do this. We know you don't believe in your defense either. You know, like what, whatever it was. So just like that mindset in, um, anyway, for, so the coin toss, we go out with, uh, John Randall, who's like, one of my favorite teammates of all time, like hype man of all hype men. Like he's the best. And I just remember being fired up at Lambeau. Can you believe we took them to overtime? Like already a win. Got John Randall out here. And um, it was just cool. It was a really cool moment. We lost the game. Um, but, we, you know, we could have lost the game a bunch of different times that game. And it was fun game to be a part of, like super fun. And I think like we lost on the last play of the game that year in a wild card. The very next year, we lost in the last play of the game at home to the Rams on a pass in the end zone that I threw too hard. And uh, I really think that the loss in 03 in the playoffs, the loss in 04 in the playoffs really, really propelled us to the success that we had in 05 to be the one seed, to get the bye, to to have the kind of year that we had. And then unfortunately, you know, we didn't get it done in the Super Bowl, which is still crazy to me because I really felt like that was our year. But, um, but yeah, like all the experiences together, yeah. it's like, it's all good, you know? Well, well, see, so you were 13 and three in, in 2005, but really, I, mean, I think you guys rested your starters against Green Bay and in, in that finale. So it's, I mean, it's funny. It's funny. Listen, week one, we go down to Jacksonville and get spanked. Like blown out of the water. They destroy us. Then we win 
basically every game until the last game uh, where we rested our starters. And we thought it was Brett Favre's last game. So we played our starters. Right, in 2005. Third. He plays another half decade. <laughs> it's crazy. It was crazy. So we emotional we hug our, with, with Mike. Yeah. He got on our, he got on our team plane after the game saying goodbye to everyone. People are getting their picture and autograph with Brett. Like we thought it was it in, in that year, but we only played our starters so that Sean Alexander could get the touchdown record and lock up the MVP. Like that yeah. was kind of the mindset. And we lost, we did lose one game in between there at Washington. Our field goal kicker, who was an awesome kicker, hit the upright on a game winner, which like was, you know, it just like doesn't have, it's like when Justin Tucker misses a kick, you're just like, yeah, you know, not our day, but, uh, but yeah, it was a great, it was a great year. It was a great year. And, and, and I don't know. It's a, there's some good lessons in that too. Like even losing week one, the way that we did, you know, I sort of chuckle now when I see NFL teams get blown out week one and like the media is just like, Oh, here's who's not going to the Super Bowl. It's kind of like, I, no, week one is a liar. Week one is a liar. Yeah. It's like, it's, it's like this unbelievable blind date. All the effort that goes into the scout scouting reports that you do, like every time you play a game, you got to go play a game and you have no idea. You have no idea what they're going to unleash on you. It's like, it's very uneasy for the teams that are good at game planning. Week one is, is really tough. Yeah. I mean, you're, you're looking at the Tinder profile and you show up for the date. It's some, it looks like somebody completely different, right? You're not ready you're, for that. You're over my head. I kind of am following you. I'm, I think I'm too old for that, but I don't know. <laughs> um, but that's, okay. You're, you're being way too generous because obviously you guys were hosed in the Super Bowl. I mean, that was an all time. Uh, I mean, it, the, Sorry to bring up, bring, bring it up all these great memories, right, Matt? But like the offensive pass interference on Daryl Jackson, what? Not, not even close. Barely touches the guy. The uh, Roethlisberger, well, right? He's down at the uh, one. The yeah, the holding well, call later. It's an offsides. Oh yeah, I, I'll, I'll say this though. Like I, you know, through that, a lot of things have come out of that for me. Like number one, I. I I won't ever really blame officiating. Um, and I for sure will never let my kids blame officiating. Like my kids are playing travel sports or whatever. And like, it almost felt like the most natural thing after a lot of games were, would be for them to get in the car afterwards after a loss and be like, the ref didn't whatever. And like, yeah. that's a, the, no, like that doesn't happen in my house. Like it doesn't happen in our car. Like, no. And I think that's like a life lesson. Like those guys are human too. And. You know, they're doing the best they can. I will say this though, and I, and I feel strongly about this. Um, the NFL in that Super Bowl and in others, and he maybe even now, I, I choose not to focus too much on it. They, that, those guys work in, in women, they, they work as a team. Like they work as a team. Like we all do in every business that we're in. We work as a team. And the way they were doing it then, and I think maybe the way that they're doing it now, is they would take each different type of official who graded out well during the year. And as a reward, they would let them have the Super Bowl. It's like that. No, that no, that's like, that's why a Super Bowl team would always beat a Pro Bowl team. Like you're not together. It's all about communicating. Watch an NFL game sometime when a ref throws a flag, his buddy, his partner in crime, his teammate, they're throwing their flag right after him. Yeah, I saw that too. And when they huddle up, why do they get those guys? Why do they get the players out of the huddle when they huddle up? They're, 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 con, you know, they're conversing on like, what'd you see? Uh, what, what I like, they work as a unit. And I can't tell you how many, referees how many officials umpires everybody after that super bowl have come up to me and said hey i really don't like how we do this 
Like, can you imagine you had to play with somebody else's center, somebody else's wide receiver, somebody else's play caller calling into your helmet? Like, it makes your job harder. And even at ESPN, like, you know, I was, I was on Sunday NFL Countdown. Like, we've got, we had great chemistry. Like, our producer, in our ear, we had great chemistry. Our statistician, our host, our like me, Randy Moss, Teddy Bruschi, Rex Ryan, like, all of it, right? If all of a sudden we had, like, just randomly one day, it was like, oh, it's Terry Bradshaw, and now it's uh, Nate Burleson, yeah. and now it's Rich Eisen. It's just like, I don't, I don't know. Like, we haven't been working together. You're great at your job. You all are. But, like, we're not a unit. And um, so even more so, if there are or were mistakes – or things, calls that someone would like to have back. Um, I, I, I get it. Like, I totally get it. A hundred percent, you know? So, um, so the focus really needs to be on us. And I think we over tried, if that's a, even makes sense. We over tried in that Super Bowl. And I didn't fully understand it until Pete Carroll became my head coach in 2010. Um, and he really kind of like, I don't know, maybe other co- coaches had said it, but like he said it in a way that I was like, oh my gosh, that's what we did. Like we tried too hard. You're pressing. Instead of, yeah. instead of like understanding, like, no, you were the best team in football that year. Like there was a reason like what the pro bowl, like when they announced the pro bowl team, like, like felt like half our team was there. Like we had that kind of a year and in the, in the biggest game of our lives, maybe cause we had two weeks to prepare for it or we wanted it so bad. We didn't play our best because we got outside of ourselves and we were pressing and, and then, you know, we couldn't overcome some things that we needed to overcome. Gosh. Yeah. You're, you're, you're more diplomatic than I could be. Cause you look well, back, it's like you win that, <laughs> like your legend just takes on, yeah, but well, that's a great lesson for your yeah. kids. I mean, that's such a good way to yeah. put it. Uh, uh, and also Bruce Arians, I think he called some like crazy trick play, you know, I don't oh, think we, fully- it, it was right after. So you like that. If you go down and score, right. You the, the throw the, Jeremy Steve like the ball third the bad call. We had the ball at the one. We had the ball at the right. one. Sean right. Alexander's the best goal line back in football. 14-10 Seahawks. Yeah, yeah, like would and then we get backed up. I lose my mind over the penalty. I'm yelling at the ref. I throw an interception on the next play. And hey, you, when that play clock comes down, you better like take a deep breath and refocus in like Bagger Vance, like you your time at the T box. And um, you know, that was a, you know, then I get called for a I think an illegal block on the tackle I made. But anyway, my point is like, I don't think we really respected, or at least I didn't respect. I wasn't focused in on like what a impressively creative play caller Bruce Arians was. <laughs> it was kind of like, wait a sec, you did what? You know? And now yeah. you see the success he's had as a, as a coach and you're like, Oh, of course, like the guy's, you know, he's kind of epic that way. Gosh, and it, you know, people just to, on, on your Seahawks career, the, the Beast Quake game, we remember Marshawn Lynch and, you know, the, the seismic activity. You were amazing in that game. Four touchdowns. I think you were, uh, you were playing through an injury too, right? Uh, you played through a lot uh, of Yeah, injuries. I was banged up that year. I had a broken wrist. Uh, I was at the bottom of a yeah, pile the wrist. against Arizona. I was at the bottom of a pile that year at Arizona and they had a, they had a great defense. Like Arizona didn't ever get the respect that I felt like they deserved. Like we were playing them with, Kurt Warner and company and just like a lot of different quarterbacks, but their defense was always, I felt like really tough. And I remember being at the bottom of a quarterback sneak and the play was over and Darnell Dockett, one of their defensive linemen, like we had had a history and, you know, he was a fierce competitor and like, I'm at the bottom of the pile. The whistle has blown. They're blowing the whistle and he's trying to rip the ball out of my hands. And like, I don't know. I just was like stubborn. I was just like, no, 
I'm not giving you this ball. And he was trying to get it. And I'm like, no, and I'm not going to let go. I have it in my left hand. I'm like, I'm not letting go. And like, he's ripping it and something had to give. And, and all of a sudden crack, crack two bones in my wrist break. Cause I was like so stupid. And so I break my left wrist and it kind of made the rest of the year, like a, a miserable year. Um, but anyway, we go into that game and I was banged up. I didn't even play the game before. And Pete Carroll, his whole thing that year was like, Hey, it's all about the ball. Don't turn over the ball. And like, I had turned over the ball, like more than I had ever turned over the ball. The only thing I can really equate it to is like when someone you're playing like in a golf scramble and someone's like, just don't leave the putt short, you know? And like, what do you do? Or like, what do I do? I leave the putt short. Like, I don't know why. And so like Pete had this thing like, Hey, just don't turn the ball over. And so that's all I was doing. I I don't know. I was playing like a little bit timid and I had a coach, my coaches that, that week, uh, Jed fish, the quarterback's coach and Jeremy Bates, they were like, Hey, you're playing tentative. You're playing scared not to turn the ball over. You're, you're like, you're dry. You're kind of like, you're driving a car, like someone who's taking drivers at 10 and two, like careful, careful. And they were like, we've seen you drive. Like you're from Boston, right? Those roads make no sense. (laughs) Drive like, or play quarterback the way that you drive, like aggressively. Like it's the safest way to drive, drive aggressive, play quarterback aggressive. And similar to the green Bay thing, like we had played the saints earlier in the year. Played not to turn the ball over. We were close, had a chance, but we needed we needed someone to be a difference maker, and uh, we lost. And so, like that game, we were seven and nine. We won the division. The whole world's like, "Oh, you guys shouldn't even be in the playoffs. You're seven and nine. It's not even a winning record." The defending world champs they got to fly all the way out to South Alaska to play the Seahawks. Like that's not fair. Sean Payton shouldn't have to do that. Drew Brees shouldn't have to do that. Like. That's not fair. So Pete Carroll just had our minds right. He was like, hey, we're not seven and nine. We're zero and zero. We deserve to be here. And then my quarterback coach and offense coordinator were like, cut it loose. You're a kid from Boston who drives like a maniac, play quarterback that way. And like, to me, that made sense. And it was awesome. We, we, we schemed them up a lot of smoke and mirrors, a lot of like, you know, taking what they did really well and using it against them. And, um, yeah, it was a fun game and, and it ended with the Beastquake game. But the funny thing about that game, the, the Beastquake run, it ended with that. The, one of the funny things about that game is my very first pass in that game. I didn't start the game before gets intercepted. It's tipped to the line of scrimmage and intercepted. And I'm like, that's it. I'm done. So I run kind of used to the Mike Holmgren experience on the sidelines, like just go over there, take it like a man, whatever. I run straight over to Pete Carroll ready for him to bench me, like completely ready. You know, first play of the game, his whole things don't turn the ball over, first pass, third and one gets intercepted. And uh, and he's like, hey, don't worry about that. We need you today. And I was like, what? Like, just totally shocked me. And uh, and like the rest is sort of history until Marshawn's amazing run, best run in NFL history. But uh, yeah, it was, a, it was such a fun day. And, and you know, when I think of you, when I hear the, the name Matt Hasselbeck, I just think of, all of the pain that you played through, your toughness. Um, is that how you kind of look back at, at your career? I mean, broken ribs, torn MCL, torn labor and broken fingers, the floating cavicle, the, the back, your last year with the Colts. Or, or was that, I think it was that last year. Uh, that was, you, that you had was so ribs. many injuries. That was ribs and a jaw. That was the ribs. Year. Okay. You know what's funny though? Like, first of all, I've only had one surgery in my entire life. Only one. 
And uh, even that, I, I don't think I really needed to have it. Uh, Drew Brees kind of talked me into it. It was like uh, he had had the same surgery the year before on his throwing arm. I was there just yeah. for a second opinion in Alabama. And, and I don't know, they put him on the phone and talked me into it. I mean, I'm glad he did. But, like, that's the only surgery I ever had. So, like, in a way, like, yeah, I was banged up a lot. But I also feel very fortunate. Like, I played 18 years you know, and then five years in college and then high school and all that and had one surgery. Like, that's kind of crazy. You know, my kids have all had more surgeries than me, you know, so I feel very, very fortunate. But I I think for me, it was more like, I think a a little bit more like how I came into the NFL and even my college experience. Um, If I ever came out, I don't know that I was ever going back in. And I kind of remember just even like Brett Favre talking about it a lot. Like he, he got his start when Don Mikowski, the magic man, got hurt in a game. And I think it was against the Bengals and Brett goes in and he never, ever comes back out. And there were so many times when Brett was hurt and I would hear his dad say to me or his brothers would say to me or maybe he would say to me like, you know, like, I, I don't know, it could happen to me. Like, if it happened to Don Mikowski, it could happen to me. And I remember sitting there being like, it's never going to happen to you. You're Brett Favre. You know, like, but like the mindset is really special. Like, you're going to have to literally drag me off the field. And I think that's the mindset. And I think going back to like when I said, you know, I don't think I had earned the respect to my teammates when I showed up in Seattle. I felt like I was kind of like what maybe the, the locker room felt about Zach Wilson early on. Like, um, I don't know. Like everything's just kind of been handed to you, you know, like, Oh, you're just the starter just cause, you know, we're naming you captain or like, like whatever it might be. I felt like I had to earn it in like one way that you can earn respect in a locker room, obviously playing really well, but sucking it up and playing through injuries that your teammates, um, you know, they've seen people not play through those injuries. And so like that, like I said, that was something that I failed at early in 01. And that was something like for the rest of my career, I really tried to model even to the end, like in my last years in Indianapolis, uh, Andrew Luck gets hurt. The whole world's like, uh, you know, the locker room's like, oh, we've got no chance. And, um, our record wasn't great. I come in at 40 years old and like part of my mindset was like, I was looking around at what I saw in that locker room. And I was like, you know what? maybe it's just like the next generation, but like the teams I played in, in green Bay and Seattle and even Tennessee, like guys would have played through some of this stuff, you know? And so like, I don't know whether I should have or shouldn't have, I probably shouldn't have played, but like, it's just almost just sending a message. Like, Hey, if I can play with this, you can play with that. You know, we need everyone to kind of at least have that mindset and then let the coaches say, you know what? I appreciate it, but (laughs) you can barely run, you know, or you can't throw or we got someone else. But, um, yeah, it's, uh, it's, that's part of the game. That's, it's a, it's a part of the game with life lessons is dealing with injuries and, uh, you know, sort of, you know, I don't know, saying prayers before a game like, hey, yeah. I, I can't do this. Taking that shot of toward all in the ass, right? <laughs> well, and, and I think, I, I think part of it is too, just like the medical staff too. Like you yeah. were talking about unsung yeah. heroes, whether it's the equipment guys, uh, who like come up with a, a contraption to help you get through a game. Um, can't say enough about them, about the athletic trainers. You hear Patrick Mahomes after he won the Super Bowl last year, he was like, couldn't have done this without Julie Fryermuth. And, you know, right. half the world's like, Julie Fryermuth, who the heck is that? Uh, most people who follow, like, most people who play it are like, uh, it's probably the athletic trainer that, like, helped him get through this. Like, totally get it. Well, that 
just so I have it straight, like in, in 2008, that's when you had the back injury mm-hmm. and you're going on your, your weekly radio show because the, the, the Seahawks kind of want to create the illusion that you yeah. might come back. So that, that had to have been tough. You're going four and 12 and it was the two separated ribs in 2015 with the Colts, right? And you said, yeah, you, the, the you back injury breathe, was you bad. You drive a car. Well, yeah. yeah, like, yeah, it's like the, some of it, like when you know that you're not going to play. And I, I just remember being frustrated and, and I'm sure everyone in Seattle was frustrated. Like we we're playing this game like, Oh, I'm going to be back. I'm going to be fine. Cause my style of play was very different than my backup style of play, Seneca Wallace. He was like this great athlete and, and, um, uh, I wasn't. And so like basically we we're sort of pretending like I was going to play knowing full well there was you know, a very low likelihood that I was going to be able to play. And it just, it just like the mental anguish of dealing with injuries sometimes can be almost what the physical anguish of it was. And so, yeah, it's a, I don't know uh, that that was not a year that I'm super proud of. I don't think I, I don't think I handled it well and uh, I learned a lot through it, but it wasn't definitely a tough year. Yeah. But, but what a, what a career, what a life and you're feeling good today. I mean, you're able to, uh, uh, honestly, like that's the cool thing about playing or, you know, coaching high school football is that you're around it. Um, you get to throw a little bit, you know, like we only have two quarterbacks. Like this last game, we only had two quarterbacks healthy. And so like I'm out there, like I'm throwing pat and go, I'm throwing routes before practice. And, you know, a lot of people are like, Oh man, you can still spin it. Like you could still play. I'm like, not a chance. Like you have yeah. no idea. Throwing the football is just like a fraction of what it takes to play quarterback you like really and so uh you know it's fun to get out there it's fun to throw but uh it, it's good to not be the person taking hits or having to stand in there and you know look down the barrel of a gun as they say um i'm appreciative for it but it, i'm also like totally fine that it's no more well selfishly i miss seeing you right on on tv but you you can come on here any day anytime man this, right. this was awesome cool please it's like a little, it's like a little memory lane, uh, therapy session, you know, <laughs> but the funny thing about coaching is like, I can't tell you how many, many of my coaches I've reached out to or tried to reach out to and been like, man, I had no idea. Like you weren't really trying to just bust my chops. Like you were just trying to help me be better. And like, that's kind of what I feel now as a, as a coach, like dealing with like the, these kids, I'm like, trust me, just trust me. Like I'm not even making this up. Like Bill Walsh said this to Joe Montana, who said it to Steve Young, who said it to Mike Holmgren, who said it to, you know, Brett Favre, who said it to Andy Reid, who said it to Donovan McNabb. Like the list goes on and on. Like, just trust me. Like, don't make this hard. Just (laughs) submit to this, you know, like just run it this way or just read it out this way. It's uh, so I've had to apologize to so many coaches. I'm like, I'm sorry that I questioned you on like stuff. I should have never questioned you on. So you're on your track then. We're looking at the next Mike Holmgren, right? Mike McCarthy, uh, Pete Carroll. You're, you'll you'll be high school to college. I wear, I, wear, I wear this like whoop, uh, um, you know, what, like fitness tracker or whatever. Yeah. And I'm kind of like, I wonder if it works, you know? And uh, it's so funny. Like we played our first Friday night game this year. And then the next day, my whoop was like, you were in the high stress zone. <laughs> for you know two hours and 30 minutes from this time to this time i was like yeah yeah i certainly was like you knew it okay so it's it's right on so like i've sort of joked with a lot of the coaches i'm like man i don't know if you know this but like coaching is like really stressful and these coaches like oh you think like you just now realizing (laughs) that i'm like i don't know when i was playing i was like oh you guys got it easy like uh you know we're the ones that are out here doing it like you're just you're just watching not true at all like not true at all um coaching i have so much respect for coaches you're the man matt 
Hey, I can't thank you enough for, for hanging out with us here. Let's do it again. Tyler, appreciate it, man.